Hello everyone and welcome to a rather special uh, Into the Black Archive episode because we've reached, I guess I guess you could call it, Owen, the end of the first era of Doctor Who this episode, this, this great big gargantuan monster of an episode. The, the end of a black and white era. We are going into colour. Next time we speak, it will be in colour. Yes, I, I mean, I noticed that when I finished the 10th episode. And you know how Britbox occasionally just runs straight into the next one before you can even have time to think? Yeah. It did with me, and I saw the colour version of the Pertwee, and I almost shed a tear. I couldn't believe there was colour again. I haven't seen colour since 2020. What are all these colours? It's so weird. Yes, I've actually been watching... We watched Flux in black, in black and white just to, <laughs> you know, feel good. So it's nice. Oh, God, it... And strangely, as well, because because we're normally super critical of long Doctor Who stories, like if it's a six-parter, nine times out of ten, we will not like it. And if you look at that, even bigger chance. But this, I almost rewatched it. And it's ten parts. Now, what Owen doesn't know, and I'm telling him now, is that I watched all ten parts back to back. I did the same thing, but excluding episode one. Fair enough. Because, and I did not think I would be able to do it. But you just, it, you just kind of get lost in it, it. and you, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're on part six, seven now. Well, I might as well keep going. I've already done more. It's one bit. of the rare classics, which I like, actually enjoyed watching and felt like i wanted more and and it's one of the few classics that really does deserve to be called classic classic is the right word this has everything you could want in a who story the the premise is so off the wall and and so ridiculous you think they can't pull it off but they do i wish i went in without knowing the twist so if yeah i i wish because everyone who knows who knows it like I'm not joking here. If through some miracle you do not know the twist in this episode, stop watching, stop listening to this podcast now and go watch it and then come back. Because mm. I wish I had that experience. I was wondering throughout a lot of it, I wonder what this would have been like to watch, you know, in mm. present when it was running on the on the air. Because that must have been a whole the the last episode and a half if I take myself my own perspective out of it and think of the perspective of where you were at the time yeah it's phenomenal television I'm going to disagree with you there I I think it hits all the things you want it has the right energy I I agree with you up until the last episode someone doesn't like those um well, we'll get into those. What what the those are? I, just just generally yet. speaking, I feel like the entire story for that first for those nine parts is really well done for pacing. There's a few points where I feel like it's a little bit slow, but other than that, it's perfect. But then it kind of feels like that ending. Like, yes, I know why the ending is there, but it feels like it only exists for that reason. It feels like for, it feels like it is the for prologue to a really good story. Like, I can, I can see that. Um, I view it the other way, and I think 
it's never we've never had really a Doctor Who story that has ended like this. Not really. Because usually they just run off, we get back in the TARDIS and it ends. The fact that we get back in and we've still got another part to go is, I think, the first realisation of what they're setting up. I think it's just really cleverly handled. Yeah. And it subverts your expectations. But I I feel like... It's it's a weird one. I feel like they could have done it in a way which worked better. But I feel like because it does feel like they're just in one set and they're just talking at each other for most of it it does just feel a little bit odd but there is the enigma and the mystery around it that i think you can view it both ways but the thing that shows you how classic this episode is listeners is we haven't even mentioned the title of this 10-part story yet not once because frankly if you know who you already know what what episode we're talking about and i'd hope so because it's in the title and the thumbnail and that. So yeah, this is The War Games. And this is Into the Black Archive. Hi everybody, uh, James and Owen here to talk through the last episode of Black and White Doctor Who, the last episode of Patrick Troughton, the last episode of Fraser Hines, the last episode of everything we've known before we enter a whole new universe, apart from the brig and unit. But, um, a whole new universe. A whole new universe. Earth. In the 20th century. <laughs> How amazing it is to be excited by absolutely nothing at all. Yeah. It's this episode. This is the thing which I love about this episode, right? We can go into characters and, and plot and all that kind of stuff later. I just want to say this. Yes, and we will. I just want to say this. Everything could have gone wrong with this episode. Yeah. The, ev- and it would have been justifiably wrong. Like they could have absolutely screwed up for pacing like they've done in every other story this season and last season yeah. to be honest they they, oh, they yeah. could have Easy. completely screwed the pooch on that ending they could have completely just just screwed up the plot twist the characters could have been the most boring thing you should have to drag yourself to watch for 10 parts but the side characters are perfect the bad guys are perfect the pacing is perfect the only thing which annoys me is that ending. That's it. I have a slightly different take, but a lot of it's the same in that we've had a lot of those stories where we where we criticise them for being kind of overambitious and we think, how many parts? You know, even Dalek Invasion of Earth being six parts, you can make some argument against that and anything longer. The Invasion's great, but eight parts is a lot. This is a this is a ten part episode of the War Games. It is the longest Doctor Who story we have covered thus far on this show. Do you want to know something else which completely blows me away? Go for it. This was never meant to be a ten part. What was it meant to be? It was meant to be a four part story followed by a six part story, but that four and they just combined it into what? The four part story just collapsed. They just couldn't do it. It wasn't feasible. So also the six had to become a ten. I don't know. I don't know if it became a ten or if it just restarted from scratch and they just made this ten. But in fact, it was yeah. never planned. But it worked. We've had some good... We have had good episodes. Oh, but right. We don't want to be too crazy because there are some issues. There are some. And I will get into them. I think the one issue is in the middle, it gets a little bit repetitive. I... And it could have been shorter, although the pacing is good throughout. That's that's the one thing for me throughout the entire story is it's when they first go into sort of like the main the main headquarters of the, the baddies. 
mm. that when they first go into that, I feel like they spent a little bit too long farting around in there. Mm. That's the only issue I've got with the pacing. But the fact is, is that usually we have massive pacing issues, whereas this is like maybe three minutes, four minutes here or there. Mm. You know, maybe this could have been a little longer. Maybe this could have been a little shorter. We're almost in nitpick territory. Which, I mean, I know which we joke about how much we love nitpicking, but also it does become a little bit frustrating when it's actually, it's actually quite good. Yeah, this is still very well paced, even with those minor things. And the fact is, nearly everything's got minor pace issues. It's very, very hard to work out the natural pace of something. It's a, it's a, it's a quite subtle art which doesn't have many rules. And the fact which they but, managed to do it over ten parts and keep my attention, I am impressed. Yeah. The thing is, is that most, even the best Doctor Who stories we've done, even Dalek Invasion of Earth, and even um, the Faceless Ones, and Evil of the Daleks, which I'm going to mention, even though it's not that good. Um, are good what well, are good stories? This feels like a whole series of television. Mm. That's the, that's the scope of it. It's like a television series, and you just binge it. Mm. It's 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 in and out, and it's wonderful, and you enjoy all of it. I mean, look, we couldn't recommend this enough. So if you haven't seen this before, we actually get into the detail. Please, for the love of God, go find it. Uh, the War Games. Do watch it. Come back when you've watched it and we'll talk because we are going to talk spoilers and it's going to be the whole thing. So don't go in without knowing you've had your fair mm. warning. Now. Yes. The people have had their fair warning. Shall we? What happens at the end of this episode? <laughs> we come across the Doctor's people. But are they his yes, people? His, uh, his family. But are they his people? Well, they're not nice people for him. But are they equal? Are they equal, you say? Hmm. I, I'm, I'm leaning down this path because of a little bit of trivia. So you know how the Doctor goes, they, the Time Lords are my people. Yeah, that, but they're not. But he doesn't mention that they're his friends, yeah. That isn't what he's meant to say. As scripted, he meant to say? he's meant to say for Time Lords are the rulers of his people. Ah, so 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 are you say are you saying to me that the the Doctor was never meant to be a Gallifreyan? Never meant to be a Time Lord. All oh, right, yeah. So he is a Gallifreyan. <laughs> That's canonical still, but not a Time Lord. It would have been the same setup as we had in all of the season three episodes, where it was an oppressing race and a, and a subjugated yeah. one. Hey, that's interesting. It does it does explain something. It does explain something to me that felt a bit out for the Time Lords, but now I can explain that, which was the whole thing. The uh, the War Chief actually dies. Mm. It's just like, what if he was if he was really a Time Lord? Wouldn't he just regenerate? But. That obviously explains it. Perhaps they hadn't worked that out yet. Yeah, because that's, that's the thing. Like they re still reveal they they reveal the Time Lords, but they're still making up to go along. They never say the names Gallifrey. They never say they were Gallifreyan. No, no, they've they, not. The lore isn't really there. It's still really enigmatic at this point. Which, which is something which I feel like they could have gone wrong with. Because you can argue with this ending, which it pull backs the curtain. It reveals the mystery about who the Doctor is. But they don't go too far. 
that comes yeah that's that the comes later on in doctor who universe where they do go too far but here oh very much so but not now. here they do it perfectly yeah it's just enough where you feel where you feel like it's obviously it's a massive development and it furthers your understanding of it but at the same time everything is kept under like a lock and key and it still feels like a mystery and, it, and, and if anything it raises more questions than answers a lot of it yeah yeah and i just think the way they did the time lords is oh, it's so good but Tell you shall what, we start with some characters? Shall we go for a plot synopsis? Ooh. Do you want to try plot synopsis this? Because it, it, we've got to try it, right? It's a huge one. Right. I am I. Can I do this? That is the question. I'll, I'll even if if you start to falter, I'll even try and jump in. I'll even try myself. It's a lot of it's a lot of groundwork. At, at the end, I was her dad joke as a reward for us both. That's like a cleansing dad joke. I like that. Yeah, should, should, should we go with that? For the, for the listeners at home, yes. <laughs> go for it. Right, so for Doctor Zoe and Jamie land in World War Two. One. One. <laughs> yes, it's World War One. It's the trench one. The trench one. one. Um, where they come across an ambulance, they get taken back to base, where they then get sent to HQ. But there's a few issues here. The, um, the ambulance driver... Lady Jennifer and uh, for Sergeant Carstairs don't seem to remember what ha- their life was before they were here. They just kind of appeared. So they go to HQ headquarters where there is a bit of a dodgy trial. Let's be honest here. It was a bit shady. Um, but they all get sent off away and then we see there's something weird here. General Smythe has got something hidden away. And no. I was going to put a joke here, but I don't know what I was going to put there as a joke. So we're moving on. Uh, and then Jamie comes across a red coat, which has come out of time, which starts leading us little snippets of idea, which is not actually World War One. And then that happens. We realise they're being lauded over by particular people. And then we start, then we try to escape. We try to escape. We go into the Roman times. We then come out of the Roman times. And then we then get... Did we get caught again? Yeah, there's the American Civil War yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to look at though. Did they get to the American Civil War stuff or were they captured at some point between Roman and Civil War? No, they weren't captured during the Romans bit. They just managed to get out of that and then they arrived then, in the Civil War. Where they they went in the Civil War where they discover not a TARDIS, uh, Ratcliffe? Ra- Russell. No, I'm all about the ship. Is that Russell in the war? Oh, you're about the ship? I can't remember the name of the ship. No. Um, they find some ship which is essentially a box and a magical door. Uh, so they go off from there. They then go off. And they start to uncover stuff. People get kidnapped. And then they come back again. Then they go back again. And then the story sort of ends. I've run out of steam. Should I, should I pop back yeah. in from where yeah. you left off? Right, okay. I'll hop back in. So... Once they go through the magic door box thing, that's the Doctor and Zoe. Jamie's behind with um, the rest of the uh, the fighters who have kind of formed a resistance. The motley Motley tr- crew. Yeah, a bunch of people from different times and eras who've been pulled out and have realised that, and so they're forming a resistance now. One second. Jamie's with them. Just so- to say, there's a lot of brainwashing going on for resistance have realised they've been brainwashed and have sort of... Um, yeah. Have come they're, out of brainwashing. Like they have a processing system, yeah. don't they? And the processing doesn't work on them because they're 
just quite strong of mind was the explanation given it's a bit it's, it's a bit it's awfully, a bit woolly i'm just going to say it doesn't work on some people yeah it just sort of says apart from these people whatever anyway uh they find out that that's what's going on the doctor and zoe meet a bunch of people including um the person in charge of security who is convinced that the doctor's in on the whole thing you've got the war chief who has his own plans and then you have the war lord who looms war over everything lord. and he's unseen for He's unseen for like the first seven parts and you just hear about him. And then when he arrives, it's honestly, it's not that imposing. It's just a guy with a beard. <laughs> no, it's, it's a budget Steve Jobs lookalike. <laughs> he, does, he has a turtleneck on as well, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, the, the turtleneck <laughs> lord comes in and he, and he lays down the law. And anyway, yeah, so it goes, there's all sorts of mishaps. Never gets kidnapped, it comes back. Anyway, skipping on a bit. We then discover that the War Chief, who is, you know, a, under the Warlord, is actually a Time Lord. So he's the Time Lord, and he's run away huh? from the Time Lords like the Doctor. No way. He knows that the Doctor's a Time Lord, and he basically he tries to get him to cooperate. The Doctor lies that he's going to cooperate with him, does a whole um, pull the wool over his eyes, isn't cooperating with him, but then realises that the only way to solve the problem is to confront the problem he's been running from the whole time. My God. Them Lords of Time must be called. And unfortunately, when you call the Time Lords, you have to answer the phone. And he answers the phone um, with a whole set of punishments and his companions uh, get put back in time. And he gets given John Pertwee's face, which is probably the biggest crime of all. So then the Time Lords come and they are put on trial. Steve Jobs, looky likey, gets sentenced to death. Um and mm. Oh, not just death. Full deletion from time. He never existed. Right. They get dematerialised. So, shall we talk about our characters? Yeah, the many, the many characters to talk about in this. Shall we talk about the final appearance of the second Doctor? Mr. Troughton himself. Yes. The... Well, not not entirely three season run. The two and most of a season run of Patrick. Yeah. Because uh, tenth planet was episode one of well story one of the full series. It's been a, I think it's been a great Doctor who's been hampered by not as good writing. It's a bit like a like the Peter, Peter Cabaldi situation. Yeah, it it's been one which I feel like could have thrived quite a lot but then i feel like his first season was excellent yeah yeah the first season's sin- great but since then it's kind of the writing started to fade during the second his second season and then As just did the every everything this season from production to writing from character work all just seems a little bit stale yeah like with the exclusion of i think we can i'm fairly sure we'll both agree the exclusion of this one and the invasion Mm. this entire season's been forgettable not just in story wise set wise um costuming wise like there's just been nothing there to really spark anything but the positive is is that Patrick Troughton in the War Games gets one final shot to show what he's about. 
And this yeah. is my favourite Patrick Troughton story. And it's the best things he does are in this. Yeah. And I think that is why I do like the ending, because it, the way Troughton plays it is mm. fantastic. Yeah. It reveals almost all of... Because what I've liked about Troughton is that he's felt more enigmatic than Hartnell did. Hartnell always felt kind of... He was a bit aloof, but you could get at him. You understood why he was aloof. Troughton was a bit more... He liked to play his cards close to his chest, and he was always a bit playful, but you never really knew what was going on inside a lot of the time. And it's only when he has to call the Time Lords that you realise what he is... And it's like the, that entire three seasons was building to figuring out what that Doctor was. Yeah. And it's brilliant. It just all culminates. Ugh, yeah. yeah. It, it's one of those stories where the characters, where his character was so good, we should don't really think about it. Because mm. you're just enjoying being with him so much. And the story which we're being led down. Yeah, and you realise that this story almost just it just undoes him. It undoes the game almost the game he's been playing for for years. That I mean, obviously that's the twist. People who didn't know that, the fact that the Doctor, yes, he is a Time Lord, but he is a fugitive from the Time Lords with a TARDIS that isn't his and has been stolen from them. Yeah, breaking the laws of his people, yeah, outright, and has absolutely no real defence for himself either. Mm-hmm. He is just a runaway. Yeah. It, as I said, it, it's definitely one of the highlights. Shall we move on to our companions? Yes, and, and as well, I like that this episode gives Zoe and Jamie lots to do. Both mm. of them get lots to do. It's yeah. the most I've seen Jamie do in nearly two seasons. Yeah, it, it's... It's the first time he hasn't felt actively irritating, I think, mm. this entire season. Yeah, I mean, he gets to deploy his worst misogyny joke of the run. But, but you know, maybe should that be an award this year? Because there's been so many, oh, but you're a woman jokes in the last season. <sighs> oh, Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, should make it an award. Uh, but yeah, Jamie gets to do a lot of... It's the action man stuff, sure. It's no different to what we've had from Jamie or Ian or any of the male companions, really. But it it feels like it culminates his entire run. Mm. And we have to remember that Jamie has been here for longer than than two has. No, Second I think... Doctor. Oh, yep. Yeah. No, I was trying to work yeah, out Jamie the was there with... Yeah. I was trying Jamie's to work out... Jamie's the planet. Jamie's not in the 10th planet. Is he not? No. Is he not? Oh, it's no. the moon base, isn't it? They look so similar. Now, this, this is why I was trying to work it out in my head. Uh, Jamie has been there less, but only by like an episode. Right, that, okay. So yeah, it's only just about. That, that's why I've been quite, because I was in my head trying to work out the story orders. <laughs> you know, it's because I remember making this joke about how the 10th planet and the moon base are so darn similar. <laughs> they are. They're the same stories. I want to make yeah. a combination of them. Anyway... Let me rephrase that. So Jamie's been there as long as the second Doctor has, yeah. pretty much. And so even that feels like a momentous moment, losing him as well. Mm. Like This is a one-two double gut punch. What do you think, Phil, about the way of getting rid of the companions here? Is it an easy writing play? Yes. 
But does it play on the heartstrings and work emotionally? Yes. Yeah. It to me it's, it, a, it's a, one of the best goodbyes we've had. One of the better ones. To me, it follows my most hated story trait. It is the. It was all, all a dream. All we end, but with erased for main characters' memories of it, of the events. Yeah, there's obviously it's it, a very convenient way and it, to get it, them out. It just feels like with. Yes, we're not seeing them afterwards. We're not seeing them afterwards, so it doesn't really matter. But it just feels like we're going ahead. We've spent, particularly with Jamie, we've spent three years with him. And then we're just erasing any of, any of the um, progress he's made. I'd have preferred it if their memories were kept to an extent, or they were like echoes of memories. Mm. Like, you know, occasionally they would just see echoes of it, but I don't know. It'd be hard to kind of get that across. And also, from another perspective, it shows you how powerful the Time Lords are, so it is serving another story purpose. Yeah. But I, I do get your point, and I see my point, and... You, I think it's a better goodbye than we had with with Ian and Barbara. I think it's a better goodbye than we have with Dodo for sure. And I think Bob, Ian and Barbara's one was better. Barbara Ian's one just felt really out of just out of nowhere. I feel like I feel like Callie dealt with their leaving. Of they remembered their memories. They had a good time together. They let then lived long happy life with the oh yeah that's memories. that's a better ending compared to the ending or which we got here of they all just left lost their memories. Yeah. And it's it's why it's why when Russell when we get to New Who when he'll inevitably do his great big mentions of classic companions because he's been doing it for ages now when he never he never really talks about Jamie and Zoe because he can't and the man is a stickler for canon yeah he's one of the things which just I don't like I don't like that way of ending a story mm. and they did it that way but. We've talked about Jamie. Let's move on to Zoe. Actually, there's one more thing I did want to mention mm-hmm. about Jamie, and it's relevant to Zoe as well, mm-hmm. so it'll segue in, is that I like the way that their mini-stories within this were structured to really refer to things that happened in the past. It does wrap up their stories really well. Yeah. Like, for example, one of the first things Jamie does is he sees his sworn enemy from the war he came out from before, mm-hmm. which automatically sets up thoughts about home and thoughts about the red you know, coat. going back to a normal life and Come, comes across a red coat and he, they learn to work together but they then erase that in a few episodes of time and he goes back to war with a red coat yeah but it's about that, that, getting home and that 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 is why I don't like that sort of storyline of it's we get over these barriers and then we just I, shove yeah, the barriers I think it would have been better if they remembered it personally but I don't mind it mm. because I understand what purpose it's serving yeah and then, yeah, moving on to Zoe, it's a similar thing. You know, Zoe gets to reference all of the things she's been able to do. For example, she uses all the first marks again. For example, memorising like all the resistance stuff, working out how the processing machine works, meant, you know, being born in the 21st century, that whole scene. And she's just as active as ever. I think Zoe's been the best, apart from Barbara, the best female companion we've had. And it's close with Barbara at times, I, especially in this episode. I do... For one thing I want to say is I wish we had more of Zoe. Yeah, I wish we had her for we longer. We really have not had much with her. And all of her sto- stories, not for her fault, have been just a bit lacklustre. Apart from, this is the one great... The invasion's pretty good as well, but but it's, this is the one great story she gets. Let's, let's put it this way here. I guarantee you when we do the end of season review next week, 
this and Via Vision will be for top two. Oh, and I know what order it'll be in as well. So, you know, don't yeah. get too worried. We're mainly just going to be talking about those two episodes and struggling to talk about the other ones. Must be an attempt to remember them. <laughs> well, the, well, the Dominators is good fun because we'll just stay destroy over and over again. So I've just finished look editing, to that. I've just finished editing that podcast. Oh my god, Did uh, you say destroy a lot in that recording. We get um, sidetracked on talk, complaining about Moffat, and <laughs> we get and for around fifteen minutes, I get sidetracked about talking about um, auto dramas. <laughs> Gotta love these forgettable season six stories just send you in different parts. Um, uh, should we yeah. talk about our side characters we had then? Because we had There are loads, aren't they? So uh, many good oh, ones. There. Where do you, uh, should we start with Warchief? Warchief feels the most important to the to the, like, the, the wider story to Sh- me. Shall we start off with who we met first? And then we go through oh, so you want order. to talk about um Carstairs and Lady Jennifer. Order of appearance kind of thing. So Lady Jennifer's yeah. first then. Let's talk about Lady Jennifer. She is. Where does she go? That I. We kind of lose her towards the end. I. Midway through, I was sat there going, "Wait, what happened to Lady Jennifer?" And then I remembered. It's the worst write out of a story, which was so unnecessary. Um, hmm. So you remember at the end where they all come back through the, through the, the Tardis ship thing. Yeah, through the essentially the space time door. Um. I've forgotten the name for the, for chief of the American Resistance. Oh, Russell, I think. Russell. His name is. Russell goes. People back at, at base camp need need a, need a medic. Are you ready to go and help them? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and she just gets told, no, you can be a nurse. Yeah. Because she's a nurse, so she goes off and does the nurse things, and yeah. we don't see her again. And yeah, then it, she's only mentioned right at the end where Carstairs goes, "Well, I would like to find Jennifer. See who the hell she got to." Yeah, yeah. It's a shame, really. I thought she was great in the first few episodes. She was such a good character to be around. And then we just kind of go... She was sparky, fighty. Yeah, and then by the end, we just... I get it, because it is, in some cases, in in the mid-parts, there's a lot of characters. Personally, I think there's maybe too many. And Mm. they had to make some cut decisions, but maybe they didn't make the right choice in general. I think they should have kept her and maybe introduced less resistance people and kept that a little bit... Tight, a little bit tighter. Yeah, shit. a little bit tighter because there's quite a few. Or just not naming people and just having them. Yeah, because there's um, I can't remember his name, but um, oh, I was going to sound terrible when I said the black guy, um, who's a bit, who appears maybe like an episode and a half, and is kind of the first person you see that can resist the um the the, the processing. Yeah, but he dies quite quickly. Yeah. Then you have Russell. And then towards the end, you obviously meet Mr. VR, who yes. is an incredible parody of the Latin community and one that I respect. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a shame. I I understand why they had to do it. There's, there's only so many characters you can keep track of. But equally, it's a shame because she was fun to be around. And I also, in a lot of ways, it's one of those things of I'd rather have her been killed off than given that sort of crappy just go and be a medic yeah it's just a bit of a yeah it's a bit of a cop out narratively but it's one of the very few issues mm. and there are there are some but they're very few yeah uh, Carstairs on the other hand is really around for the whole thing I would have been more than happy to have him as a companion I have to be he's honest one, he's, he reminds me of Ian a lot I yeah. think is the best way to say it he's very similar to Ian and has that strong head on his shoulders and is willing to get in the action has a good mind just a very solid character and always just seemed like a good bloke yeah, it, it, my, 
much it, it, we I would be as I'm saying more than happy to have him stay on as companion I wouldn't have cared he was fun to be around I think Terence Dix, who mainly wrote this, knew that the War Games was going to be the culmination not only of that season, but of really the whole of who up to that point. Mm. Like, a, really a celebration of all that had happened. I think Carl and Jennifer is just an Ian and Barbara reference. Because they are very, very similar to those characters, and they kind of have a similar relationship. Yeah. They're both work colleagues who both obviously care for one another. They have similar personalities. I think it's a pretty clever reference to those two characters, mm. and a, and like a, a like a subtle nod of the hat without getting too bogged down. And luckily, Barbara was written out in a much better way. But uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, beyond that, there's other characters we meet along the way. Mainly, um, the villains of the piece, and there are quite a few. Yes, and all of them are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it. I, I don't feel like we need to go into all of them individually because I don't want this podcast to drag on as long. No, as... No, not majorly. Go, go on as long as war games. <laughs> we can make, we can make some mentions. For example, yeah. the guy who's doing the processing experiments. He's sort of funny for the couple of episodes he's around for. Um, the head of security who is just obsessed with the idea that he's being double crossed the whole thing and is so egotistical about it, he makes everything go worse. Yeah, he's one of those people which you can just tell just don't know what they're doing and just actively screw over everyone including themselves yes there is of course uh, general smythe who has six episodes of being built up as being really intelligent really smart the main villain of the piece ends up being like fourth in command on one little part of the whole thing and just gets shot <laughs> yeah <laughs> nowhere him and the i don't know can't remember his name but the german leader those yeah. i there was one moment Capitan, in this... Capitan, I just Capitan. I loved how we built them up to be these big enemies at the beginning, and then we had the twist, and it's literally just them two, those two just at, at a table planning out who, how to kill for, for the other team's morale for best. Mm. It, I, I just loved it. I, I just loved that interaction between the two of them. It's very, it's very Doctor Strange, love. And, and bearing in mind, Doctor Strange, love had only come out about four years before this episode mm. went out. There's a lot of references to the war room and all of the kind of stupidity of war. It's subtle again, but I just think the way it's written, it's clear that they've really thought about this and it's very well put together. And, and then, then there's um, Turtleneck Lord. Yes, which just marches around, bark stuff, general <laughs> Doctor Who, supreme leader kind of dude. He starts off yeah. being really clever, but then kind of at the end just gets Looks proven an idiot. Yeah, and has probably the most brutal way to go, going as if he was never there <laughs> in who history up to this point. Yeah. And then we've also got, of course, the other Time Lord, the, uh, f- second, the third Time Lord we get introduced to in Doctor Who. Mm. And who are the first two? The, the Doctor. Doctor and the Monk. Yes. Yes, well, yeah. I wonder, wonder what did happen to the monk. Maybe the monk changed his appearance and was the was the war chief. Who can know? Um, uh, I think, strangely enough, talking about um, audio adventures, I think I've just come across the monk in my audio adventures, but I'm not sure yet. Really? I've yet to come across the twist. That's interesting. Well, they've just. I wonder if the monk is showing up. They've 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 just gone into a monastery where there's a monk which is acting a little bit weird. 
And, oh. I, and I know for Monk does turn up at this some point in this season. Well, perhaps we're about to perhaps we're about to find out where he got to. Um, yeah, Sorry, the Warchief probably has the no. That's fine. The Warchief probably has the most interesting of of the the most interesting motivation and story arc mm. in that we're never really told what this what this race is. We're just told that they are a race. Yeah, it's not important to the story. They're just a group. They're a, an alien race who want to conquer the galaxy, and this war games gamut is to work out what the most efficient way of killing people is so that they can take over the galaxy faster. Really, they should have just called some Tarans up. But here we go. We're doing a we're doing this. Or the Daleks. And they've essentially... So, they've sought out... Well, the Time Lord apparently came to them, didn't he? And gave them sort of Time Lord help yes. to make this happen. Because obviously, creating a world that combines ancient Rome and, 19th, and World War One which is only separated by bits of mist, is a pretty tricky job. Uh, but the Time Lord is obviously playing his own game and would rather like to become leader of the galaxy and have power. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, the Time Lords wouldn't allow him to do if he was under their auspices. Yeah. He, he definitely has the most fun. I love his facial hair. Hmm. Is he, here's, here's a trick. Is he, is he the only Time Lord to not regenerate? Th- how does he get of. shot? Does he? How does he die again? I've completely forgotten how he dies. He just gets done with the la- with that laser gun that creates the the circle effect on the screen. He gets shot by a warlord and his guards. Yeah, I know, I pretty think, ordinary death, actually. I feel like it's one of those areas where you can tell which they're making up as they go along. Yeah, at the time they were still trying to nail it. The, the, the reason there's such a mystery around the Time Lords in this is because it's a mystery even to the writers themselves. And I kind of feel like we shouldn't look into it too much because it's one of those things. No, it's one of those things. No, those things as soon it. as you start look, trying to poke holes in, you'll find holes, mm. quite large ones. Yeah. If anything, I just want to explain the holes to be like, oh, that's a quirky hole in Who history. This is a proof they don't have it all worked out. So yeah, shout out the War Chief for Time Lord who can't regenerate. Yeah. Um, like being a squib in Harry Potter, isn't it? Shall we move on to the story? Let's quickly go through some of the story because I don't want to be here until 11 o'clock. <laughs> yes, neither do I. Um, look, we've been through a lot of the story, uh, but so really, instead of going through like, the whole framework, so I feel like we have done, what, what about we just pick out the good bits and then maybe we talk about the things that aren't as good on the way? Yeah, should we, should we kind of do it in order? So should we start off with just the so, yeah, general, general World War One kind of introductory bit? Yeah, because that's the first episode, episode and a half, is we're, we're figuring it out from inside World War One, and the whole thing is we think we're in World War One. Yes. The there's We get introduced to everything in the War Games very slowly, very cleverly, and I, as a writer, and I know I go on about this, being a writer and having written, the way all the information is delivered is perfect. It's a perfect way to slowly reveal the twist. Which is why yeah, at the beginning I said I wanted to not know about that twist. Mm, it's just there is twist on twist on twist as well. It's You think that the big twist has happened, but then there's another one but they never, layered on. But it's never... In the grand scheme of things, it's never a big twist... But it stacks and then stacks and then stacks and stacks and stacks. And you, and you mm. kind of look over Clifford and go, my God, I started from that point. Yeah, exactly. And that's what a great long story does. Is it? it just slowly changes. And so with every episode, you feel like the stakes are slightly higher. And 
the environment feels slightly different and we and we know different things and with each episode i mean even if some of the episodes do get repetitive towards the middle the things that are being revealed in them aren't at all and it's keeping the momentum of the whole thing going it never loses momentum yeah like we're always pushing and pushing and pushing i as as i think most of the characters i wish at that introduction the general Smythe and everyone else in that kind of environment gets built up on a little bit more. It kind of feels like they're mm. introduced as such strong characters. And as as we put on those twists, they're kind of just inherently forgotten about. Yeah, it's difficult when you have such a high concept story, this whole wars from across time pulled out of their own times into one planet of unknown origin. It's just mental and off the wall. It's difficult when you have such a high concept to, to keep in touch with the basics. Yeah. And occasionally they do lose sight of the characters. But I'm not going to criticise them too much for it because there's so much they're trying to do. And I think the characters still come through. Yeah. Yeah. It, as, as we said at the beginning, every negative we say about this story, for the most part, is nitpicking. Mm, yeah, is. that's a nitpick. Because in reality, it's what you want. Is if, if you wanted more focus on the characters, that's great, but you'll probably have to accept there's going to be less ironing out of the lore around the story. It's a compromise. Exactly. And then shall we move on from World War One from into... The best the... reveal of the whole thing is when we learn that there isn't just World War One. yeah. Yeah. So the red like that... that does it for me. Yeah, it is it's that red coat and the, and the think, TV what? screen thing. And yeah, just those little things. And then the red coat going, oh, it's 1745. <laughs> uh, no, it's not. And then you see the Roman Legion yeah. five minutes later. Can I just say, I this is the biggest nitpick I could possibly nitpick, but I'm going to nitpick on this nitpick. Mm. The fact which the clip from the Romans charging... Is the same both times they use, even though they're on different sides yes, of the story. I know it is. I know it is. <laughs> but do you know what? Do you know what? In some ways, you could say that that's beautiful, and it's a reference to the fact that Roman legions always fought in a very precise order. Uh, as if I you said, know anything about Roman battle tactics, very, very precise. Uh, as as I said, it is a nitpick on top of a nitpick about a nitpick <laughs> oh, for nitpick's sake, but. It's like we get about 15 seconds of Roman footage in this entire story <laughs> and yet it's still seen as like a big wow moment. And it's also you need to remember as well this would have been shown considering the length of this story probably almost two months later. You, mm. you haven't you would not realise. Yeah, a, f- a full two months. Then, yeah, after the Roman thing it's what I like about that initial sequence of recognising that they're outside of time, going through the mist, having all this thing built up, is that once we learn with the characters, particularly we don't learn with the Doctor so much as we feel like the Doctor's one step ahead with a lot of the story. We're learning more with, with Carstairs and Jennifer. We're learning from an ordinary perspective as opposed to from the Doctors, which I always think is more interesting mm. and makes the story more engaging for you as a viewer is when you're it, learning on a human level. It's what Russell T. Davis did particularly with Rose at the beginning, exactly. using the audience surrogate character to sort of allow the audience member to be confused with the character rather than just going in all-knowing Doctor's a God. Like yeah, someone else. Yeah, giving you everything. 
Oh, his name is Stephen. And um, anyway, um, what else? Uh, I can't believe, by the way, and I know we've signed notes to Marvel already this season. The first episode of that Dan Moffat era literally is designed to introduce the Doctor as a god. And it doesn't stop. We don't have time. This is a long, really long episode. <laughs> it's, just impor- it's just important to mention. They, um, I also think, because I was going to mention the cliffhanger in episode three, that's kind of where we were getting to. The cliffhangers throughout this story are great. Yeah, they are. Pretty much all of them are. And the thing which but- I respect is that they're all great. And for the most part, they're all good ways out of it. For the most part, there's some conveniences. For example, um, the first one's a little bit like, oh, okay, that kind of came out of nowhere because you think the doctor's about to be shot by firing squad, but it's set up. That's what I was going to say, but midway through my sentence, I realised there's an explanation for that. Tell me. It's a bit of foreshadowing, a bit of... It's it's a hidden twist. It's a resistance member. Mm. It could, it, it's That's most likely funny. a resistance member, isn't it? I suppose it could be, yeah. If 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 we go with that, then yeah, that that that's it a makes sense. obvious explanation, isn't it? Because that's what I I hmm. thought that all the way up until the sentence I just said. Nothing. Wait, no, he's probably just a resistance member. That'd be great if it is. I wonder if we could ever get some clarity on whether that was. Might have to check. Might have to check because obviously some of the resistances have different. Ha- I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, th- there's one particularly really good cliffhanger, but I'll get to that one when we get to it. Um, and the episode three one's great when the Doctor and Zoe step into the space time door and we have no idea where they've gone that just throws you off completely mm. and then just little twists here and there like the lecture sequence it, it, this would be a throwaway scene in any other Doctor Who story and in this one it feels tense and is interesting and then Carstairs comes in and, and you've got the stakes there and then the Doctor's literally teaching him what to do while trying to hide it it's, all of the layers are great even in scenes that don't feel that important they have managed to use the ten parters so well to cake the other long stories we've got. It feels like they've had a four part and went <laughs> scratch it out. Yeah, here it desperately feels like they went in with a mindset of we need to have this happen in this story. We need to have this happen in that story, and then we need to have this happen in that story, and it works. Almost. From a story perspective, you can tell that they've they have put this up on a wall and they've talked about it for months and they've nailed out where to put everything. Which is what impressed me, the fact there was a mistake. Mm, yeah, the fact they've turned it from effectively a mistake to something that that's that thoroughly planned and that well put together. It is fantastic. It's fantastic writing, just in generally. Mm. Not just for who, for anything. Right, shall we move on? Yeah, we get through five, six, five and six feel a little bit repetitive. We're kind of just it's in that cent- doing schemes. It's, it's in that central zone where it just feels like they spent just a tad bit too long running yeah. around. One of the issues is we, we get a lot of scenes where um, basically the trick of the generals who are in on this war games pattern is they have um, either a monocle or, or spectacles, whatever. And through that lens, they're able to mind control whoever's around them mm. for the most part. That's why I wear glasses. Uh, and we, yeah, and we see... Oh, uh, God. <laughs> I can see his glasses. I'm dead. Uh, and we see a lot of that in the first few episodes. That that comes up again and again and again. And and it it's good for an effect the first two times, but certainly by the end you think, are we doing just the same trick? And then we're going to have Jamie go, but you just listen to that. And we, we just hear that all the time. 
it works, but it was a bit overkilled. Yeah. And the fact which it, it only seems to happen with those two characters, we never see it being used anywhere else in the world. Yeah, it, it kind of it's one of those things which it feels like they they forgot about midway through. You know, although what do you know what it's just reminded me of? My favourite character in this whole story, completely irrelevant to the story, but my favourite one mm-hmm. and the one I'd want most to be to my friend, the cute little German soldier who's so impressed by the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it lifted you to not touch, <laughs> and it's got to do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Wait, no, I, I remember now. I remember. You're not a spy. Oh, I love it. <laughs> you are a sonic screwdriver man. Yeah. Um, also, isn't it beautiful that the sonic screwdriver is used in this episode only for the purpose of actually turning a screw? So, well, a few times. Um, <laughs> what? Thank goodness, thank goodness the gun wasn't wooden, huh? What else do you want to speak about? Well, towards, well we can get to the end, yeah. really. We can get towards the last few bits. The, the Turtleneck Lord's introduction is well layered in because we get yeah. so many mentions of him overhanging and so he's built up really well. So when he arrives, he's such a big moment. And I'm, and it's not to say that it's a letdown. It's just, it's different to what you expect. He's not this kind of huge, threatening, imposing figure. He's you, just, you expect just like a, a guy. A big, imposing figure and what you really get is bureaucrat. Yeah, bureaucrat. And, and you know, the bureaucrat's threatening enough and he seems pretty cutthroat, but it's just a different approach. Um, yeah, I think what I enjoy about those episodes is the machinations between um, the Doctor, the War Chief, and the Head of Security, and personally the fact that most of the problems that happen with the enemy side are just down to people trying to save face, mm-hmm. and that feels like the theme of everything. You know, Smythe saying that the Doctor's already dead, then realising he might be the only person who knows where the things he actually needs is, then trying to call off the death then failing to cool off the death, and then, even though it's not dead because the resistance fighters arrive, then he's the one who dies. Yeah. And then the last words we hear of it was, Smythe was a fool, he deserved to die. <laughs> Which is fair enough. <laughs> and the head of security time and time again, just completely following, disregarding orders that would have easily ended this whole problem because he's so desperate to prove that he's right about this conspiracy he has. Yeah, but all of this is good writing for me it's yeah. not like it's copping out because the decisions don't feel stupid you know when you watch a horror movie and you think don't go in the house you idiot mm. like with a lot of Doctor Who stories you get this don't go in the house you idiot it's that obvious with this yes it's stupid but it's motivated stupid it, it's stupid you can see their mindset of it of like oh you can see General Smythe wants to get his own back he doesn't quite realise how important the Doctor is Yes. And then he realised how made important... a justifiably stupid decision. And then you eventually realise... Then he, you watch his face as he realises which production is actually important. <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> when he just runs out the window and goes, Stop! <laughs> um, but then, shall we... And everyone, everyone gets that. Shall we move on to the ending, then? Yeah, I think... Straight on to episode nine. Um, so... The introduction of the Time Lords. I mean, it's the first mention we get of Time Lords around what, episode 5 6, where it's revealed the War Chiefs of Time yeah. Lord. Obviously, it, you have to take us out of it because obviously we prick up at that, but no one really would have pricked up at that. But we go, mm-hmm. okay, that's a race of people, fine. Then around episode 8, we realise, oh, the Doctors of Time Lord. I mean, it's, it's kind of foreshadowed. There's mention to the fact that they can mm. control time technology, and you think, well, the Doctor has that, so that maybe that's it. 
it gets revealed. They have the big conversation about um, ah, what was the thing? It was you know all of the stuff about running away from Gallifrey, having similarities. Mm. But all the while, it's just introducing who are the Time Lords, who are the Time Lords, who are the Time Lords, so that when the Time Lords have to come in, it's treated like the biggest event. It's like calling the gods down from on high. I do feel like the way they got him to call it was a bit weird. Yeah, it's sort of meditates while he builds a cube out of a net of a cube. Yeah, and then the cube kind of gets sent away. It's, it's, It's... it's it's, it's, it's so strange. but okay. So very strange, but it it does the job. But it it continues to set up this weird off-putting vibe, doesn't it? Yeah. And then my personal favourite moment of the whole Time Lord introduction is when the Warlord goes, "When he meets the Time Lords, he'll wish he didn't call them. They are coming." <laughs> With just the sound, it's just it's it's genuinely like the sky is falling. Yeah. And then the cliffhanger, Owen, the the the, the episode nine cliffhanger, which has got to be one of the best things I've seen shot on Who. Period. The slow motion run to the TARDIS as the Time Lords slowly come into play. They will slowly. And you realise just how powerful they are. Yeah. One one step by one step by one step. And the Doctor's getting more and more desperate. And James getting more and more confused. And it's it's just brilliant. It's a brilliant sequence. And then as we come out of that, we then go... We see the TARDIS essentially going back through the Doctor's history. We see for, mm. it covered in a web from Web Planet. We see it on top of the sea from Fear of the Deep. Yeah. And then I think there's another instance of it as well, which I've completely forgotten. And then he's in the court. The court of the Time Lords. Yes, yeah, where the Warlord also gets his trial, which yeah. doesn't end particularly well for the Warlord. Oh, well, Turtleneck Lord, sorry. I, I, I feel like one of the reasons why I don't like that ending is because I feel like the Warlord just feels a little bit out of place. I admit he does. It would have been better if it was just the Doctor there. I, I agree with that. It, it just feels I like... I get it, why the Warlord's there. It feels like it's... It wraps up the episode more. It, it just feels like it's unnecessary baggage from the last yeah. episode. I do think that by the end of episode nine, the closure had been achieved. Yeah. But there we go. Once the Warlord is dealt with, which is kind of within about six, seven minutes anyway, mm. then we get the 10 minutes of... And Jamie and Zoe do get a proper goodbye, although yeah. they try till the last second to get out of it, which is so Jamie and Zoe and so fitting to them. I think the scene in which they're actually saying goodbye to is very heartfelt and pulls on the emotions in the right way. We get, obviously, the shots in the core of them returning back to their lives, which gives a real nice closure sense in the mm. way that Ian and Barbara's departure did and perhaps the others never really did. Agreed. At least it actually went out for the end of the story. Yeah. And then we get, once we've got through all of that and all that baggage is done, Jamie's there out of the picture and it's just the Doctor and his people mm-hmm. telling him he's been a bad boy. We get the scene. And if you ever watched any of those regeneration compilations or you've been through the Who history... You've watched this scene ten times, and I've watched this scene ten times. I can quote I, it. Uh, so, so I, yeah. So, I've heard how it went was was that Patrick Troughton was asked to perform under pressure, and he refused. Mm. So they went with Bohemian Rhapsody. Honestly, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Neither of those songs were out at the time. 
I don't care. But Freddie Mercury was still a boy going around pubs claiming he could sing. Admittedly, he was right, but he was just going around. I don't care. I just wanted to, to annoy you slightly. That joke is awful. <laughs> Thank I you. Ca- I cannot believe this is becoming the, you know, the, the bad dad joke who podcast. I've only done two. <laughs> it's, oh, I can tell when a trend is brewing. <laughs> to nip that in the bud quickly. But yeah, it's the scene. It's... He is sent, and, and this obviously sets up an entirely new era of Who moving forward. We're going to take the TARDIS away. We're going to strip it back. We're going to try and make it more rooted in the real world. Yeah. But we do that by doing the most ridiculous, mystical bit of the whole lot, which I think is beautiful. It's like one last stab of, we are insane and we don't care. I even, you know what, I even like, I love the last, the last shots of this. Troughton winding around in the circle, losing his face and into the dark. Yeah, it is a good ending. And, you know, the Time Lords are just so powerful, which they just gave us colour. With his, with yeah, well, his that sentence, was the Time Lords. With, 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 with the Doctor's sentence, they gave human race colour. And with that, we have to end this podcast. What do you give this episode out of ten? <sighs> I'm still going to give it a nine because it's a bit repetitive in the middle, and there are some things that don't that don't work perfectly. And I know it's nitpicky, but it can get a bit repetitive. But it's the best episode I think I've watched so far doing this podcast. It beats Dalek Invasion of Earth. I'm going, to and that's saying something. I'm that. going to say eight or a nine. Huh. Partly because down. Partly because I'm still not convinced on that last episode. I get that. If if you have problems with the last because I've I've really kind of gone with it like, and it's it's I've sold on it. I understand it's why it's there, but it feels unnecessarily tacked onto this story. But don't you think it's a beautiful thing that it's almost like you think you've got out and then it pulls you in in the worst way? Like it feels like the end of the story, but it isn't because of the twist. Yes, but I feel like it's it's it, it, it's a weird area where it feels too out of it. But it's kind of got this remembrance thing of the warlord just being there. I, yeah, Chief, I suppose. I feel like if if we saw the time lords in the launch bay area, so kind of taking place in sort of like a bodged court in the area of the story, so we've still got some attachments to the story. It probably yeah. would have been better. It just feels slightly too too attached, and we just kind of have the war chief just kind of there. I think what would have been cooler is if the time if, if the time lord showed up at the end of episode nine, and just did away with the warlord and war chief like it was nothing, mm. like it was absolute fodder, and then we went up to Gallifrey and did the trial for episode ten. Yeah, yeah. I- but I, look, there are different ways of playing it, and you would lose that really cool cliffhanger. And uh, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it as as I say, it's one of those things of I really let I really love this story. The issue is, as well, which I have with this story, is that I would recommend people watch it. But the issue is, it's very well done and it's really good. It is still, what, like like 200 minutes long. It's it's about four hours and ten minutes. Yeah, and... <laughs> it's a it, chunky old story. It, it, yeah, it, that's the only thing which would put me off suggesting it to someone else. So I'm not... 
I would, why, if you want to do it, I would recommend it, but just just know that it's four hours and know that you're yeah. in for a long haul. Try and split it in half, maybe, How, however you like to play it. Don't be insane and do what we did. Uh, no, but there we go. I think it's worth it, but you have to make your own decision on that. And that means, now that we've got to the end of the War Games, the next podcast we're putting out is the heralded, famous and favourite of our fans. End of season what happened? Season six. We'll be looking back at this mild disappointment of a season. <laughs> Which ended phenomenally. Yes. It had its high points, but my God, most of it were low points. <laughs> so, <laughs> Story of the Leeds Premier League season. <laughs> so if you want to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, make sure that is delivered straight into your inbox. And then after that, it's colour. It's colour. I know. It'll be, it's so close now. Uh, of course, as well, if you ever want to get in touch with us about anything Dodgy related, especially if you've seen this episode and you want to wax lyrical about whether you like it or, or even don't, uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Black Archive Pod. That's our handle. And we're also available via email if you'd rather go for something longer. That's blackarchivepod at gmail.com. No caps, no spaces. So remember to leave a review as well. But that's it for now. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good evening. All right. We'll see we'll see you soon. Goodbye.